Okay. Afternoon, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the emotive response. That's what, that's what I need. So, yeah, no, it's, it's nice to see everybody. Um, and, um, yeah, we're having a great time so far. Um, and, um, yeah, as I was saying to Ruth, we're going to be kind of carrying on with the next um, part of our series on the names of God. And today um, we're going to be looking at um, one of maybe the most popular names of God, um, Jehovah Jireh. Um, and... Um, I say that because it's probably of all the names of God, um, uh, perhaps maybe that you'll see in this series, maybe the most easily recognizable. You know, so for many Christians, um, uh, this is the, the one that will um, come to their mind first and foremost. Um, everything all right? Yeah, cool. Um, that comes to them at night, uh, their minds first and foremost when they're thinking about Hebrew names of God. Um, in, in most modern Bible translations, uh, the, the name Jehovah Jireh is translated as the Lord will provide. And you know, when, when, you, when we stop and think and reflect on you know, just the, those words, the Lord will provide, it's just such an awesome you know, source of, of comfort, isn't it? When you think about really what those words mean. And, and that, that has been the case for, for Christians and Jews down the centuries. Um, and... Like I said, it's an honor for us to be able to call on a God that provides. And, and I think that's, that, that, that comfort that I touched on is, is probably why it has become such a popular name. And, and as I say, many Christians do lean on it. Um, but I suppose if we stop and think about it for a second, what is it that God provides? You know, because I, I, I suppose I said the name is quite special, but in, in one sense, God's the creator of the universe and so he sort of provides everything, you know? So do we almost even have to say it, really, that the Lord provides? It's kind of obvious. You know, he's provided everything, the water, the food. The... So in one sense, actually, he provides everything. It's quite vague. So maybe, maybe that's not the way to look at it. But I guess in another sense, we could try and think of and narrow it down a little bit in terms of, you know, God providing things that may be more specific. So... Uh, God providing the, the, the petrol in my tank when it's two pound a litre, it's pretty stressful. Um, or, or maybe we might be a bit more ambitious and a bit more, you know, uh, vibrant and, you know, God's going to provide the car, never mind the petrol in the tank. Maybe that's what the God's providing. Um, and so which one of the two is it or, or is it any of those at all? Um, and I, I suppose, you know, my, my leading question suggests that it's actually probably neither of those. And, 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 and the truth is that the, the name Jehovah Jireh is neither kind of a wishy-washy reference to just God giving us everything, and, and, and neither is it a, a reference to God being some kind of cosmic ATM that we, you know, if we just say the words in the right manner and the right, you know, as if we're some kind of Harry Potter at Hogwarts, if we say everything right and do everything right, then God will just give me exactly what I need. That is not what we're talking about as Jehovah Jireh and the Lord provides either. Um, the, the, the name has a very, very actually specific meaning, which actually in, in most songs or times that we actually hear this word, we don't, it's not actually referenced in that way. Um, but it has a very specific meaning, which is actually no less comforting. In fact, way more comforting than how we often think about the name Jehovah Jireh. It's the, the ultimate source of comfort. And, and, and that's going to be the, the kind of focus that hopefully we get there as we're going through um, today in terms of what Jehovah Jireh actually means and what it is that the Lord is actually providing. 
And so for us to um, understand that, we really need to go to the only place in the Bible that Jehovah Jireh is mentioned, um, which is Genesis chapter 22. So if you don't mind opening up your Bibles or opening up your phone, if you're, if you're me or your iPad or whatever it is that you do, and turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read the first few verses. So, some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship you and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So I think on, on first reading, second reading, even third reading, to be honest, this, this story is hard to process, isn't it? It raises all sorts of questions you know, in terms of you know, just what, why, why would God do this in a way? Why, why, why would God test Abraham in this way? And I suppose... In some ways, as, as difficult as this story is to kind of think about, the truth is that this is actually the, the, the apex of Abraham's journey with God. Um, it is the, you know, the, the cherry on the top. It's, it's, it's the, the homecoming of Abraham in terms of his relationship with God. When God first calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, um, he is already an amazing example of faith to us in that he, he hears God 
and he stands up and leaves everything, you know, his family, where he's grown up, everything that he knows to go. He doesn't even know where, just where God tells him to go. So he's done something amazing straight off the bat. But between chapter 12 and chapter 22, where we find ourselves today, he isn't always the perfect example of faith. You know, on, um, two, on two occasions, he uh, lies that his uh, wife is actually his sister to try and avoid um, getting, into, uh, getting killed or getting into trouble, which maybe demonstrates his inability to think of God, uh, God's ability to keep him safe. Um, the most of chapters 12 to 22 are actually about the completely dysfunctional family dynamic that is created from Abraham's um, lack of ability to have complete faith in what God has promised him and try to find solutions himself to, to having a son. So he's not always the perfect example of faith. But each of the, the trials and things that Abraham goes through in his life in his journey with God, um, and in the 10 chapters that precede this, you know, he saves his cousin, he leaves his home, he battles with kings, um, he navigates domestic disharmony. Um, each one of these troubles are essential in nurturing a faith with God that enables and a knowledge of God and who he is that makes it possible for him to play out and stick with God through the extraordinary events that we read about today. And I think too often as Christians, and just generally in life, we can be a bit hard on ourselves, expecting ourselves to be the finished article straight away. But to me, it's clear that if God had asked Abraham to do this, you know, half a chapter earlier, even a couple of chapters earlier, he, he wasn't there. He wouldn't have been able to. That maturity wasn't there. Um, and so, and he would, and in, and in turn, if, he, if God had asked him, he'd have lost the opportunity to fulfill his calling and to live out the promise and, and, um, and gain the blessings that he does at the end of this chapter. You know, we're, we're so tempted so often to lean on our own timing and our own understanding of what should be happening. But we just have to remind ourselves and lean actually on the Holy Spirit to remind us, really, that we need to trust in God's timing. Um, and his plans for our lives, uh, not our own, not taking things into our own hands, but trusting in him. As I've said, the testing was essential in developing Abraham's faithfulness and ability to be able to obey God. Um, and as com uncomfortable and painful as life can seem and as our trials may seem, um, as Christians, we have to develop the, the discipline to be able to take a step back and rest in the knowledge of who God is and how he can use these periods in our lives, these really hard things that happen to us in day-to-day -day life, all of us, to mold us into what he wants us to be, into that finished article um, that he is planning for us. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It, it almost never feels like it, but God is being glorified in your toughest moments in life. You know, God, God was glorified when Abraham left his family 
um, when God first called him. And in the same way, we can tr we trust that God can be glorified however lonely we might feel. You think, just imagine he's, he's separated from everything that he has. We experience that, many of us, on a daily basis, that might, might being alone, but God can be there in our loneliness. God was glorified in Abraham's battle with kings, you know, powerful people. Uh, and in our day-to-day -day life, we have that contention with our bosses, with people above us all the time. God can be glorified in your stress at work, wherever else it might be. We can trust in that. And God was glorified in all the trouble that Abraham had with his slaves and his wives and his two sons all the upside-down wildness of his family life. And having a family, being in a family, is, is there's nothing more special than family, but it can be really difficult sometimes. Um, and we can trust that God can be glorified in however difficult our relationships might be at home or elsewhere. But in doing so, though, as Christians, we need to recognize that we play our part in allowing God to be glorified by not just saying things and acknowledging who he is with what we say, but acknowledging who he is with what we do and how we live our lives. And in many ways, that's the most important thing. You know, faith is not theoretical. It's not, a, you know, a paper-based exam. You know, our faith in God is practical. And if it's not practical and lived out and done, then the book of James questions that, really. Um, and when I say practical, what I mean is not being perfect all the time. It means living our lives with that knowledge that God exists and trying to live our lives with reverence and respect for the things that he said and for what is in his word. And I think this is a question that I ask myself every day and that we can all ask ourselves every day. Does our lives outside of you know, half two to 4 p.m. on a Sunday look like we believe that God exists? You know, if somebody looked at your life and how you were on tomorrow morning at work, would they say that that is somebody that fears God? You know, if they looked at your life on a Friday night, you know, not for me, mine's pretty boring on a Friday night these days, but would they say that you look like somebody that believes that God is there? And believes in the words of the Bible. Um, Abraham's life did look like this, especially in the chapter that we're reading today. You know, his life was characterized by obedience to God and to his word. You know, in, in chapter 22, verse 2, where we read, you know, it, it says this, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. I mean, it, it, the, the words emphasize the value of Isaac as a son. And, you know, the chapters precede that, emphasize it even more. You know, Abraham has waited, you know, a hundred years for this child. And, he, and God's asking him to sacrifice him. You know, most parents could not even contemplate it. <laughs> Abraham is ready to take that step for, out of obedience to God. James chapter 2, verses 21 to 24 says this. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made by, complete by what he did. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to say that you believe 
in God, but it's another thing altogether, you know, to live it. You know? we've, we, we've, we've spoken about trials and about how, you know, the, the difficult challenges that we have from time to time in life. Um, it's, it's easy to be faithful and obedient to God at times when, when, when things are easy, you know? It's easy to, to love my neighbor when they're being nice, um, when they're being kind. It's a lot more challenging when they are being a wally. Um, it's easy to, you know, it's easier to give, you know, and to tithe um, when, you know, we've got a consistent job and a consistent salary and everything's going fine. It's harder when there's a cost of living crisis and there is considerable pressure on our finances for us to give to God and be obedient in the same way. But God is faithful and God is consistent. Um, we need to be faithful and consistent too. Uh, and that is what Abraham's life, as I say, um, not always, but in this moment is characterized by. You know, look at verse 5 in, in Genesis chapter two, 22 again, and right at the start of the passage, you know, Abraham says um, to his servants, we will worship and we will come back to you. And I think that's just so significant that actually before he's even got to the point of sacrifice, he's confident that him and Isaac are going to come back. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19 says this, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's so significant that Abraham is thinking that, okay, I'm going to listen and obey you, God, even if that means sacrificing my son but I know the promise that you've made, which is that through him, I'm going to have descendants like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. And so that's going to mean you're doing something special. And you've done something special, and I trust in you, God. So I'm going to follow what you what you've said, but I know that something else is coming after. You know? and, and at this point in history, you know, we're, 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 obviously we're sat in a church because somebody special God himself resurrected and came back to life okay at this point in history there was uh, the idea of resurrection was entirely unprecedented so this is even more you know astounding from Abraham that he's believing God for something that has never ever happened before um, to happen in this case because he knows enough about the character of God to know that if God has promised him something however Odd, this plan may seem what God is, if God has promised him, it's going to happen. And I mean, that, that, that is the, the level of faith that we need to be praying to get to as a church, you know, to believe in God to do the things that are entirely unprecedented in life if it means that God's going to fulfill his promises to us. If, if God has promised us health when we're sick, believing that God can do it in an unprecedented and bizarre manner um, if he has promised us uh, the, the God that, that brings life from death is capable of doing 
that, quite frankly, unbelievable. Obviously, if he, if he, if he wasn't, then we wouldn't be here. Um, and I think for us, it's focusing on the miracles that God has already done to be able, to, like Abraham had, to be able to give us the strength to believe about what he can do forward and in the future. Because nothing is impossible with God, especially when it comes to keeping the promises that he has made to us as Christians and as a church, because he is truth. He doesn't lie. And so, and you know, Abraham is not let down in this instance. God rewards his faith by sparing Isaac and underlining, underlining his promise to him. And this is what leads Abraham to, to thank God and name the mountain Jehovah Jireh. As mentioned earlier, you know, this, this word is most often translated as Lord, the Lord provides, but can also be translated as, and you know, if you've got the King James Version, it will be translated as the Lord uh, will see to it. And, and this extends to the, the saying mentioned later on in verse 14, which says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be seen. So what is it that Abraham is, is happy um, that God has seen to, though, you know? In, this, in that moment towards the end of the chapter that we read today. that The provision that Abraham is thankful for is not just simply sparing his son. It's actually the provision of a sacrifice in place of his son. That, 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 that is what Abraham is thankful for. And I think for us, and obviously there are so many lessons in this passage, but the lesson that we can see is that Abraham is... You know, this is this peak Abraham. This is you know, Abraham in his prime. This is the best that Abraham can be in terms of he's, he's followed every single step. And he is the, the perfect model of faith at this moment. Okay, he, But his obedience and his faith in God can only take him so far. Even though he's done everything perfectly in this chapter to a fault to a confusing fault for many of us in terms of looking at it and thinking, how is he doing this, okay? This is perfect Abraham, but he can only take it, it only takes him so far because God is so holy, he is so pure that we cannot attain the type of relationship with him that we need um, that unlocks blessing and hope without sacrifice to cover our imperfections. And... In the Old Testament, this was done through the sacrifice of animals. Um, and like I, like I said, even at this stage in Abraham's maturity, he, ca he can't take that step without God intervening. And I, th I, I think the, the great thing here is that God in his unending goodness, you know, you'll notice in this chapter that it's not that Abraham reaches that moment and God, uh, the angel of the Lord speaks to him from heaven um, to, to, uh, to, to not slay Isaac and then Abraham lets out a prayer to say oh God please, you know, please can you provide another sacrifice instead of uh, Isaac no God provides even without asking um, and that, that's the, the echo for us in that you know, in the same way God is, is watching our, our lives and the events in our lives unfold and he's providing to us and he has provided to us the sacrifice that we need without us even asking in our Lord Jesus Christ and, and this is what Jehovah Jireh is really about you know, it's not about the you know, provision of our daily bread of our worldly and, and earthly needs 
Of course, God takes care of those as well. Um, but it's about the provision of Jesus Christ. As the, the, the sacrifice in our place um, for us to be able to attain right relationship with God. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like Abraham, without us even asking, when we were lost, when we were at our, our lowest point, God sent Jesus to come and take our place and die for us. And you know, if you pour over this chapter, Genesis chapter 22, there are so many echoes of biblical principles that run through this chapter. You know, and Jesus' sacrifice for us. You've got the Father willing to give his only son. You've got the, the reference in, in, verses, in verse 4 to the sacrifice being made on the third day. You've got, like, like Isaac, we should have been sacrificed. But as I said, Jesus was sacrificed in that place. That, I mean, the very mountain where these events unfold in this chapter is Mount Moriah, which is you know, not far from where Jesus ultimately died on the cross. So all of this is a very carefully placed story by God. To, as a type to teach us about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, makes for us year, thousands of years down the line. You know, Jesus' death and resurrection has, has, has paved the way for us to be able to have that relationship with God and experience the blessing that he has in store for us in a way that we can't get to on our own. And all that's asked for us is for us to repent of our sins and believe in him. Uh, and then be part of his family. Um, Jesus has done all the hard work. He's taken our place. Uh, he's provided the sacrifice that we need. And that is Jehovah Jireh. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for, for stepping in when we didn't even know how desperately we needed you. Thank you because you have provided... The, the, the redemption and the atonement that we need. Um, even though we don't deserve it of our own accord, you've provided that so that we can come to a knowledge of you. And Lord God, I pray that you will push those of us that, that know you to live our lives with that knowledge and to live our lives in obedience to you um, out of that knowledge and, to, and, and that your Holy Spirit will descend on each of our hearts and help us to grow in faith and maturity so that we too can be examples like Abraham to those around us. And for those of us that are here or that might be hearing this message and don't know you, Lord God, I pray equally that, that, that you will open eyes and open hearts that we can come, that they too can come to a knowledge of you afresh and that relationship that you have in store for each of us. Amen.